146, if you're not there already. Luke 146 to 55. And children, there is children's church that you're dismissed for if you like to go to that in the back. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we rejoice that someone did tell us the story of Jesus at some point. Such a simple song that our children have just sang, and yet such deep, eternal truths. That story of Jesus, the one who took on flesh, who bore our sin, who died for us, who rose again victorious, who ascended into heaven, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Our salvation, our hope, that story of Jesus is everything. And it's to that gospel story that we cling this morning. Even as we look at this passage, this story of Jesus, we pray that you would guide our hearts and our minds, that your spirit would work through the word, that you would accomplish your purpose in each and every one of our lives and our hearts, that distractions would fade away, and that your purposes would be accomplished here this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me clarity of mind, authority, as I proclaim the word of God, that you may be honored in all that is said and done. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As a kid, as we would travel, go on vacations, uh, we would try to go on vacation once or twice a year, um, go to Washington, D.C. My dad loved history, uh, so we'd go to D.C., uh, we'd go out to Colorado. Uh, we, we traveled a lot, and I, I enjoyed it as a kid, the opportunities. But one thing my dad started, that every trip on the way home, when we got home, my dad would sit down with us, and he would do a quiz. What, what things do you remember? And it'd be, you know, just the most random things along the way. What exit did we stop at on, you know, our first stop on the way between here and here? You know, just the most random things. Just an opportunity to pause as a family. It was kind of a fun way with kids to pause and to reflect on everything that we had just done and the fun that we had just had. I think this morning it's good for us to pause on the day after Christmas, to pause and to look back and to reflect. The craziness has somewhat paused, stopped. It looks like some of you still might have some full houses, so maybe there is some craziness still. The craziness of the day of Christmas is past. The anticipation is gone. I think it's good for us to pause and to consider what is it that we have just celebrated? We know what we celebrate, but do you know why? 
See, in our Christmas Eve service, we, we paused at the very end there as I was giving a benediction, and we just kind of meditated on the fact that the world around us is, is going crazy. They are packing, they are wrapping presents, they are making food, they're getting ready. But they don't really know what Christmas is about. The majority of at least American Christians, I would guess, probably at least have somewhere heard the idea of Jesus being born. They know maybe somewhat of the story, but they don't know what it means. That's what I want to focus on this morning. What does Christmas mean? And I want to turn our attention to Luke 1, verses 46 to 45. It's Mary's Magnificat. Her song of praise as she magnifies the Lord. And in this song of praise, Mary kind of pauses and focuses on what does this mean? This baby that is growing within me. What does this mean? So this morning as we work our way through this passage, we'll see a song of praise, a testimony of mercy, and an invitation to believe. The first thing we see this morning in verses 46 to 47 is a song of praise. A song of praise. Verse 46 starts with these three words, and Mary said. That first word, and, tells us that there's some context to this song. It's not just that Mary woke up one day, rolled out of bed like a Disney princess, and just started singing. There's context to this. And in fact, the context goes back even to verse 26. This angel, Gabriel, who comes to Mary and who tells her the birth of Jesus Christ, that she has been chosen. Specifically, verses 30 and 35, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have not known a man? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Look what the angel goes on to say in verses 36 and uh, through 38. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to you according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So there's this context of this conversation with Gabriel. This news, this, you have to imagine, just overwhelming news. Good news. And then there's this sign, your, your, uh, Elizabeth, your relative. Verse 39, Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. As Mary greets Elizabeth, John, who is growing inside of Elizabeth, leaps in her womb. In the presence of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, Response: Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 41, and she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, and the babe leaped in my womb for joy, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So all these things are going on, and all of these things are the background to Mary's song. It is this news that the angel has brought. It is this sign that he has given, that she has gone and she has seen Elizabeth, and it is true. So this morning, as we come to hear, and Mary said, Mary's hymn flows directly from Elizabeth's Holy Spirit-filled exaltation. You are blessed. You are blessed, for you believed, and there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told you from the Lord. So as we come to these verses, now Mary vocally proclaims what she has inwardly meditated on in these last several days and weeks. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies to praise, to, to make large, to draw attention to. Look at my God. Look what he has done, what he has promised. In fact, notice what she goes on to say in verse 47. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice the past tense there in verse 47, and the present tense in the end of verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced. I now see and praise the Lord for what is happening in the present, the very same thing that I have hoped for and rejoiced in in the past. This is what I have longed for. I have longed to see this day. And not only now do I see it, but I am a part of it. I have been chosen by God. And so my soul magnifies this Lord, the very same one in whom my spirit has rejoiced. And what I know now I proclaim. In fact, note this, that Mary's praise comes from deep within her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced. From the very depths of who she is, she erupts in praise. Response to who God is and what he has done for her. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of standing in a place that just takes your awe, your breath away. It's just awe-inspiring. Maybe it's standing on the beach on the edge of the ocean. There's something about that. The first time you see the ocean, you're standing there, and you see those waves coming in, and you see just the endless water before you. It's awe-inspiring. You catch in that moment just a glimpse of the magnitude of how great this ocean is, just a glimpse, a taste of the power in that ocean. There's a natural response to that. You might stand there with your mouth just open. Not, you don't even mean to. It's just, it's just, it's natural. That's how you respond. Or maybe it's standing on top of a mountain and looking out. And you catch a glimpse, just a taste of how small you are and how big the world is. And how great God is. 
and that beautiful view in front of you. It just takes your breath away. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I've heard that it's that same thing. You stand there on the edge, and it just snatches your breath from you. You catch just a hint of how small you are and how big the world is. I feel like that's kind of a taste of Mary's explosion of praise. The awe. Here Mary stands on the edge, gazing off, and she's catching just a glimpse of God's glory and his grace and his power and his goodness. And she erupts in praise. It comes from the very depths of who she is. This is not something that she has rehearsed. This is just the natural response of someone who catches a glimpse of who God is. She stands there with her mouth open. Glorifying God, magnifying him. It just pours forth. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary's focus in this song, in the larger hymn here as we work our way through it, her focus is more nationalistic. It is on what God has done for Israel. What this means for his chosen people. It means deliverance from sin and oppression. It means that God is faithful. And yet, notice here at the beginning, Mary's personal focus. There's a recognition that it's not just my people who need deliverance. I need deliverance. I need salvation. I am in desperate need. And God is my Savior, as confirmed by this baby. I am rejoicing in God, my Savior. In fact, it's this personal focus that carries forward into verse 48. Into her testimony of mercy. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. And behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he, God my Savior, has regarded... He has seen me. He has taken note of me. He has moved in my direction. He has not turned away from me. He knows my name. God, my Savior, has regarded me, the lowly estate of his maidservant. Who am I that this God would see me, that he would know me, that he would choose me? She's well aware of her unworthiness. She has no attractive social status or connections. She is nothing. And yet she stands in awe of a God who has chosen her. Who am I? That this God whom I magnify has chosen me. 
out of all these generations, out of all these families of Israel, out of all these young women, he has chosen me. And because he has chosen me, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Notice that there is not even a hint of merit in anything that Mary says here. I will be called blessed because he has regarded me. In fact, Mary here stands forth as one, as an example, as one who has received the mercy of God. Her testimony in verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me. That is the testimony of all who have put their faith in God, is it not? If you have placed your faith in Christ for salvation, that is your testimony. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Who am I? I am a sinner. I am so unworthy. There are so many people as I look around who seem so much better than I am. Who am I that he should regard me? That he who is mighty should do great things for me who am nothing? He who is not mighty has done great things for me. A great God has done great works for me. The one who is weak and undeserving. And holy is his name. Who is this mighty one who has chosen me? Who has saved me? Who is the God of my salvation? Who has done these great things for me? It is the one before whom Isaiah says that the angels proclaim, Holy, holy, holy. It is the Lord himself. In fact, even here in verse 49, there's kind of a statement of divinity for the child that is within her. Because in verse 35 of chapter 1, Gabriel gives this very same, no, same name to the child who is growing within her. Holy. The Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He is holy. And the one who has done this for me is holy. This child growing in Mary's belly has the same name as the God who she serves because he is of the same essence because he is God. This is Mary's testimony. Her praise flows from her testimony of the mercy of God. He is my Savior. He has chosen me, and I am so unworthy. But he is mighty, and he has done great things for me. As you move then to verse 50 to 55, there's an invitation to believe. Mary takes this as she meditates on the mercy of God the mercy that God has shown her in choosing her, and she expands it. 
And you see here that it's available to all who will fear the Lord. His mercy is on those who fear him. It's on those who fear anyone who fears him. His mercy extends to all who will fear him. From generation to generation, this mercy is not just reserved for Mary or for Mary's generation, but the same God who is Mary's Savior and who shows her favor offers mercy and salvation to all who will fear him. His mercy is on those who fear him. That language of fearing the Lord. It's a statement you come across many times, specifically uh, in the Old Testament. We've seen it even many times in the Psalms. Those who fear the Lord are those who recognize the Lord for who he is. Who believe in what he has said and who order their lives according to his word because they know who he is and because they believe him. Those who fear him. Anyone who sees him for who he is, who believes him, and lives according to what they know to be true in him. And this mercy of God that he has shown me can extend to any of you who will fear God. Anyone. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. In fact, here, verses 50 and 51 and following, she gives several illustrations. Looking back over history, he has brought down nations and raised up new ones. He has parted seas and brought down walls. He has made the sun stand still. He has moved giants. He has shown his strength and his mercy beyond any doubt. He has shown his strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And he will continue to do so. In fact, it's kind of the, the, the thrust of this song here, even though it's kind of past tense, he has done this. The focus in these verses seems to be on the future. And yet there's a surety to it. This baby coming means that God will do all this. It will come to pass. And it is so sure, it's as if he's already done it. We've seen it in the past, and the future is just as sure as the past, because God is faithful. He has done these things, and he will continue to do it. This is all that God will do through this baby, just as he promised he would. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has shown his sovereignty over nations and kingdoms. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich has sent away empty. He has provided for through his providence, his provision, even for the least of these. This is this great God who has regarded me. In fact, notice in these verses, it, it's not the mighty or the rich. Those who, who tend to rely on themselves and think they have no need for God. But it is the lowly and the poor who recognize their need. 
It is those that he regards. Those who recognize their need, who cry on the name of the Lord, who know his mercy and deliverance. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. This great God has regard for me and he has not forgotten his promises to his people. He will keep his word. He is merciful and true. He knows his word. He has not forgotten what he has promised and he will fulfill all of his promises. And like Mary earlier in this song, Israel is not put forth here as someone who is worthy of this. Rather, God's mercy to them is despite their failings and their shortcomings. Mary's song is not of Israel's strength or Israel's faithfulness. It's of God's mercy and God's faithfulness. And it is God's mercy and faithfulness to Israel that gives Mary and all who fear the Lord hope and reason to rejoice. For the God who is faithful to Israel will be faithful to me because it is who he is. He has kept his word. In fact, not only does Mary here believe that there will be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord by Gabriel, but Mary believes and expects God to fulfill all of his promises. Not just to her, but to Israel and to Abraham. God will do what God has said. This is my God. And he alone is worthy to be magnified. Mary's song is not just a personal testimony, but it's an open invitation to fear the Lord, to know his mercy, and to join her in exaltation. Magnify the Lord with me. See his greatness and fall down and worship him. Exalt his name, for he is worthy, for he is faithful. See, here in these verses, in this hymn of praise, Mary pauses and reflects on what this child means. And what it means is this. It means that God is faithful. Because God made promises. And this child that God has given will fulfill all of those promises. God has not forgotten what he has said. He is still faithful. And he will do what he has said. He is faithful. Secondly, he is just. He has shown this strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. 
He has put down the mighty. He has, uh, the rich he has sent away hung, empty. Justice will be done. God is just. Just as he is faithful to save, he is faithful to judge. It also means that God is merciful. Mercy is one of the themes of this song. It just oozes out of it at all levels. He is merciful to me. He is merciful to Israel. He is merciful to all who will fear him. He's faithful, he is just, and he is merciful. He alone is worthy to be magnified. Won't you join Mary in magnifying the Lord? The birth of this child proclaims the faithfulness and mercy of God. God is faithful. And he is worthy. And if you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you've never paused to really contemplate, to think through the birth of Jesus Christ and what that really means for you. I would love nothing more after the service than to talk with you, to take you aside and to answer any questions that you may have. Jim Goodwin did an excellent job a few Sundays ago walking us through in the Old Testament all of the promises that are fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ, showing that faithfulness. And it's the faithfulness of God proven time and time again that gives us hope going forward. I hope that you have placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation. I hope that you do fear the Lord with Mary and with us. That you have that hope. That you know his mercy. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I would just encourage you this morning to pause and rejoice in the faithfulness of your God as displayed in the birth of Jesus Christ. He will do what he has promised. It's who he is.